From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing, Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance, and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. The unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Shane Begum, with you on this Tuesday, October 31st, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, the Shenzhou 16 crew landed safely in northern China after five months at the Tiangong Space Station. The Israeli Prime Minister has rejected calls for a ceasefire in Gaza. The EU is urging Serbia and Kosovo to mend relations if they want to join the regional bloc. In business, China's manufacturing sector has dipped into contraction territory. In sports, Messi caps the season with another major award. In culture and entertainment, a museum built on the ruins of two Han Dynasty tombs. Now checking the day's top stories. China's Shenzhou 16 crew members who have been in the orbiting Tiangong space station for nearly five months have safely returned to Earth. This comes after they landed, or rather handed over, control of Tiangong to the Shenzhou 17 crew. Taikonauts Jinghai Peng, Zhu Yangju, and Gui Haichao landed in northern China early Tuesday and said they were feeling well. Uh, now the trio are back in the Chinese capital. Zheng Yibing has more from the Beijing Aerospace Control Center. The goal of Shenzhou's 16 return mission has been successfully achieved. The three Chinese astronauts or taikonauts have returned safely at the Dongfeng landing site in the Gobi Desert in northwestern China's Inner Mongolia Autonomous Region. Here at the Beijing Aerospace Control Center, everybody is so excited after the three crew members returned. And they have been tirelessly working for this moment. This is the fifth return mission for China Space Station since 2021. And this is also the second return mission after China Space Station entered its application and development stage at the end of 2022. We've been closely following the whole process of the return mission and every step the Shenzhou 16 crew has taken. Now the missions for China Space Station have become routine and every half a year there will be the launch, handover and return mission for the Tiangong Space Station. Now, after the medical treatment and readaption to the gravity on Earth, the Shenzhou 16 crew members, the other Commander Jing Haipeng, space pilot Zhu Yangzhu, and payload specialist Gui Haichao, let us remember their heroic journey in space. And they will take several months to readapt, to recover, and begin routine exercises for future missions. That was Zheng Yibing on the safe return of the Shenzhou 16 crew on Tuesday. 
Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi and diplomatic advisor to the French President Emmanuel Bonn have pledged to tackle global challenges together. The two held talks in Beijing over the weekend at the 24th Strategic Dialogue between China and France. As next year marks the 60th anniversary of diplomatic ties, Wang Yi urged a recommitment to the principles established at the onset of their relations to uphold the core role of the United Nations, promote true multilateralism and resist bloc confrontation. Wang hopes for enhanced cooperation and invited French companies to invest in China while uh, seeking a fair business environment for Chinese firms in France. At the crossroads of our times, as independent and sovereign nations, China and France should shoulder their respective responsibilities. Guided by the consensus of our two leaders, we should uphold principles of mutual respect, win-win cooperation, exchanges and mutual learning, building a comprehensive strategic partnership featuring stability, mutual benefits, exploration and progress, and guide China-EU relations to steady and lasting progress with the positive development of China-France relations. We should jointly promote the unity and progress of the international community. Bonn acknowledged the strategic partnership between China and France that contributes to global peace and stability. He expressed confidence in the Chinese economy and uh, said that France has no intention to restrict China's development. Tuesday is the last day of this year's Beijing Shangshan Forum. The event had a special focus on the China-proposed Global Security Initiative. Defense and military officials from more than 90 countries and regions and international organizations have been discussing defense and security issues. Chen Zeruan has more. So first of all, I think it's important to understand many officials and experts saying the forum is an opportunity to really understand China's vision, China's security vision, and also ex uh, really understand what the global security initiative is about and how China is really fulfilling those uh, goals. In addition to that, the second perspective is to really understand external influence in the Asia-Pacific region. We're talking about the South China Sea issue. We're talking about the existing ASEAN framework and how collaboration or potentially are uh, possible uh, amid existing conflicts and political di political differences. Um, for example, I've talked to experts from Pakistan saying that the U.S. consider India as a net security provider and putting Pakistan in a really uh, not a friendly relationship, which means that uh, U.S. is playing fa flavor and also picking India as its favor and breaking the regional peaceful agreement and also consensus that already established by countries. So um, these are some of the the, the topics being touched on and also the third perspective is actually exploring the potential solution for existing external conflict and also that includes for example the Ukrainian crisis we're talking about uh, the ongoing uh, Israel and Palestine conflict so these are the topics that they are also talking about so the last perspective the fourth one is actually focusing on potential collaboration so we're talking about what, what China vision is about uh, where we have talked about the existing conflicts in uh, around the globe and now we're also talking about amid the differences. There are also collaboration on defenses. I also talked to command, commanding general uh, from Thailand. He said that um, China has been working Thailand to carry out maritime cooperation, for example, um, on humanitarian relief, on joint um, tour and also on fishery. So these are some of the collaboration that already exists and also they are looking forward to bringing more collaboration in arm um, exercises, for example, in the area of battling against terrorists. That was Chen Zeyuan in Beijing. China says it's improving its uh, foreign aid system and will focus on multilateral and trilateral cooperation. Liu Surrey has details. Chinese officials report measures and achievement of China's international cooperation and foreign assistance. Lord Zhao Hui, uh, chairman of China International Development Cooperation Agency, said in the past year, China has been improving the mechanism and system of its foreign aid, and China has also kept increasing its foreign assistance. 
for example, the agency has raised more than 12 billion U.S. dollars for foreign assistance programs through diversified channels. Luo explained that in the past, such funding would be allocated solely by the government. But in the recent years, the agency has sought ways to raise money through commercial organizations. And China has also created a unique foreign assistance model, and it has insisted insisted that the aid is provided with China's characteristics, meeting international standards, and has uh, encouraged more entities to join in providing it. As well, the agency made efforts to improve supervision of its management and investment. Luo said China wants to ensure the aid money is spent to the right place and is being used wisely. And besides the measures, officials also mentioned some of the achievements made uh, in the past years. Uh, firstly, the officials highlight the foreign assistance given to help fight against the pandemic. And China has provided medical resources to more than 150 countries and 15 international organizations. And secondly, officials say investment in the Belt and Road partner countries has uh, boosted local uh, economic development. And so far, more than 2,000 projects have been conducted in more than 120 countries and lifting more than 40 million people out of poverty. And besides, China has also carried out uh, infrastructure construction and development of medical and health system in partner countries, improving the quality of the life of local people. That was Lu Surrey reporting. A delegation of veteran airmen from the Flying Tigers is visiting China. The Flying Tigers were an iconic group of American volunteer aviators defending China against Japanese forces during World War II. The veterans say they hope to rekindle the spirit of cooperation with China and promote friendship. Dong Shui takes a closer look. Known as the American Volunteer Group at the time, Flying Tigers veterans are now embarking on a trip to the nation they helped defend against Japanese forces during World War II. In a museum commemorating the anti-Japanese aggression, Mel McMullen and Harry Moyer, among the last survivors of the Flying Tigers, have their legacies remembered as Chinese and Americans fought side by side to uphold world peace. To rekindle the spirit of cooperation between the people of China and the United States, the Sino-American Aviation Heritage Foundation was established in 1998. Its founder, Jeffrey Green, expressed hope that more Americans would come to understand what the Flying Tigers mean for Sino-U.S. relations. We know how the Chinese people feel about the Flying Tigers. We hope when this trip is over, more Americans will understand how all of you feel for the Flying Tigers. Earlier this September, Chinese President Xi Jinping, in his reply to a letter from Moyer and McMullen, noted that the people of China and the United States shared a common enemy in their fight against Japan, forging a profound friendship. In the context of the growing China-U.S. relations, he said that hope lies in the people, the foundation is among the people, and the future belongs to the youth. He added that the sound and steady development of the relationship in the new era requires the support of a new generation of flying tigers. Their legacies lives on as a testament of the enduring spirit of cooperation and heroism between nations during the times of conflict. Now, 80 years later, their visit will undoubtedly be a momentous chapter in the ongoing story of the China-U.S. relations. That was Dong Shui reporting. In Yanchang, Jiangsu province, agricultural innovators are rewriting the rules of farming. They're not only exploring new crop breeds, but they're also creating eco-friendly farming practices. And Li Yunqi has this story. Which trophy do you like the most? Yeah, that yeah. is the, the last one, the, the Friendship Award. That was Nikolaus Geik, a Dutch tulip grower who received the Jiangsu Friendship Award for introducing tulip cultivation techniques to Yenchen. As the largest producer of agricultural products in Jiangsu province and one of the top producers in the entire country, Yenchen's be diversifying its agricultural portfolio by introducing new items such as tulips. However, their approach isn't always about finding completely new products. More often, they focus on improving existing breeds. Take watermelons as an example. 
The most popular breed on the market was developed in 1984, named 8424. In this digital era, where fruits are no longer sold solely in the local markets, Dr. Zhang Xiaochun with the Yancheng Bureau of Agricultural and Rural Affairs emphasizes the importance of finding watermelon breeds that can withstand long-distance travel. For a very long time, the most common breed on the market has been 8424, but there might be even more promising ones coming up. With Yancheng's watermelons reaching as far as the entire Yangtze River Delta and even the Pearl River Delta down south, what we're really looking for are watermelon breeds with a stronger rind. That's absolutely essential for their journey over long distances. This dynamic is common in the agricultural business, where the focus is on finding better crops rather than growing the same ones year after year. Yancheng's fishery industry is also exploring ecological models to reduce the environmental impact of aquatic animal waste. In Jiangsu Province, a novel approach involves cultivating crabs, fish, and shellfish in the same pond, harnessing shellfish's natural ability to clean the environment by removing nitrogen from the water. Liu Xiaochen is an agriculture and rural affairs official of Dongtai District. She says they are actively seeking suitable shellfish varieties. Coastal areas have more choices compared to Dongtai. They can cultivate shellfish like common clams, which aren't suitable for our water. We found a type of hard clam with a binomial name Mercenaria, which seems to be compatible with our environment. As the largest agricultural city in Jiangsu, Yancheng has a history that shows it wasn't always an ideal place for farming. Its low sea level made it prone to frequent flooding, and its proximity to the ocean caused severe problems with saline soil. However, the adventurous spirit of Yancheng people has enabled them to overcome these challenging natural conditions, which may be the key to the continuous prosperity of its agricultural industry. For the Beijing Hour, I'm Liu Yingqi. Coming up, Israel rejects calls for a ceasefire in Gaza. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. Fifteen minutes past the hour, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has rejected calls for a ceasefire in Gaza, even as the United Nations warns that the true cost of this latest escalation in fighting will be measured in children's lives. Netanyahu says a ceasefire will amount to a surrender to Hamas. In the meantime, the intensifying military operations have greatly increased the fears of 2.4 million inhabitants of Gaza. Hamas says they fired machine guns and anti-tank missiles early Tuesday. As Israel's tanks and infantry attacked the besieged Palestinian enclave, Israel says its troops struck more than 600 military targets over the past 24 hours, and that they've freed a soldier from Hamas captivity. Uh, UN aid agencies have rejected their desperate calls at an emergency UN Security Council meeting for a humanitarian ceasefire.、Uh, the ongoing conflict so far has killed nearly 10,000 people. Stephanie Fried has more. I'm on I'm in Sterot, which is right. I'm I'm seeing Gaza. I'm hearing the jets overhead,、um, and we, which makes us renders us vulnerable from the other side because we also have incoming rockets. So we're right on the edge, right on the border with Gaza.、Um, so we're seeing what's happened here. And in terms of activity and this extension of Israel's campaign, what they're calling Phase Two of the campaign,、um, I mean we're seeing it here. We're hearing it. Uh, with the reports that we're getting from the Israeli army, the ground operation, which is essentially they're targeting what they say is、um, Hamas nerve command control launching pads,、uh, missile、uh, or, or guided、uh, anti-tank missile launching areas,、um, observation points. And they're they're targeting Hamas operatives themselves.、Uh, the Israeli army says that they took out dozens of Hamas operatives here in the, which is behind me on this side,、um, in、uh, the in northern Gaza, and they continue to go in in a little bit more of a precision way. The latest we've got、um, now in terms of the hostages, reportedly 239 hostages still in, held inside of Gaza. 
A video was released on a Hamas social media channel earlier with three of the hostages uh, being shown in the video. And one woman is talking vehemently in Hebrew, very anti-Benjamin Netanyahu, the Israeli prime minister, speaking about his mistakes, uh, saying that the reason that they're still being held hostage is because of his mistakes, because of Israeli military mistakes. Um, and, and she's actually screeching, very, very angry in the video. Um, of course, um, the local news that are not, they're not airing that. Uh, they're saying um, that it's propaganda and it's psychological warfare, so they won't air that. Um, um, and others, of course, understand she's being held hostage, and so she's speaking under duress. Um, but as the prime minister, as the military says, the hostage, releasing the hostages, it's a main priority. They come from 41 different nationalities. They say it's not just a local priority, it's a national, international priority. That was Stephanie Freed reporting. United Nations Security Council held an emergency meeting on Monday. At the request of the United Arab Emirates, the meeting attempted to seek a binding resolution demanding Israel accept a humanitarian pause in the fighting. This follows a non-binding resolution passed by 120 member states at the UN General Assembly on Friday, which called for an immediate ceasefire. And Sally Patterson has details. This was the fifth time Security Council members have met to discuss Gaza since the October 7th attacks against Israel led by Hamas, which saw Israeli and foreign nationals killed and taken hostage. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has once again appealed for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire, together with the unconditional release of hostages and the delivery of humanitarian relief. The United States has refused to back calls for a ceasefire, saying this will benefit Hamas as nearly 240 Israelis and foreign nationals, including children, remain captive in Gaza. Members warned the situation could escalate far beyond the borders of Israel and Gaza. The effects of the violence on children was a central theme at the meeting, with more than 3,100 killed across Gaza, Israel and the West Bank. UN critics question how much impact the divided Security Council can really have as the death toll in the Middle East continues to rise. Sully Patterson reporting. Well, Egypt says it's working with the U.S. and Israel to increase the number of aid trucks to Gaza. Over 50 aircraft from 19 countries and 14 international organizations have arrived at Egypt's uh, Arash airport carrying tons of aid and supplies. Well, meantime, more than 190 trucks with food, water and medicines have entered the Gaza Strip. The Palestinian prime minister has called for an end of the fighting. He's also called for the opening of humanitarian corridors to facilitate the distribution of aid. Yasser Hakim reports. We started with a positive note with the news that around 100 trucks will be uh, transporting aid to the Palestinians through the Rafah border crossing. As on the diplomatic front, Egypt said it is continuing its extensive efforts and talks with the US and Israel to try to hammer out a humanitarian ceasefire and also to work on a plan to increase the number of trucks that could be delivering aid to the Palestinians on a daily basis. Uh, also, the Arab League uh, has announced that uh, it will be calling for an, a meeting of the foreign ministers of the Arab League countries, uh, members of the Arab League at the headquarters in Cairo. Uh, and uh, the meeting is aimed at trying to have a united front in, in a way to try to push for a ceasefire and a, and a cessation of violence and uh, the war on uh, Gaza by Israel. So there is an expected united uh, diplomatic move uh, in the next few days to try to push for a ceasefire in Gaza. That was Yasser Hakim reporting. Well, China's Middle East envoy has stressed the importance of creating conditions to restart the Middle East peace process on the basis of the two-state solution and the land for peace principle. Uh, Jai Jun made the remarks during the recent meeting with Jordan's deputy prime minister and foreign minister Amen Safadi. Uh, Jai said China is deeply concerned about the worsening humanitarian crisis in Gaza, urging the international community and especially the United Nations Security Council to act and take measures to promote a ceasefire 
and then ended the hostilities as soon as possible. Safadi said the Palestinian or the Palestine-Israel conflict has uh, brought huge damage to Gaza and impacted regional security and stability. He said Israel's collective punishment of uh, civilians in Gaza will only bring more risk of instability to the region, and it'll never bring peace. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, the EU is urging Serbia and Kosovo to normalize bilateral ties. Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. At 23 minutes past the hour. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen has warned Kosovo and Serbia that normalizing their ties is the only way to become bloc members. Von der Leyen was in Kosovo as part of her regional tour presenting the EU's new growth plan, uh, which she said would double regional economies over a decade. We all know we only can achieve all these steps forward and successes if Kosovo and Serbia normalize their relations. It is absolutely crucial for both to engage, to cooperate. We're deeply convinced this is the only way to go forward, not only to access the growth plan, but also towards a future in which Kosovo, and we really hope it's going to happen, is part of the European Union. EU Foreign Policy Chief Joseph Borrell said that the leaders of Serbia and Kosovo refused to compromise at a fresh round of meetings meant to improve their bitter relations and that their tension could jeopardize chances of joining the bloc. Serbia and Kosovo have been at odds for decades. Kosovo unilaterally declared independence in 2008, but Belgrade still considered it a Serbian province and refuses to recognize its independence. Many Kenyan communities are calling for apologies and compensation from the United Kingdom for unresolved colonial crimes. Calls are made ahead of the official visit to the East African country by King Charles III. Among the communities is the Nandi people who are hoping to uh, address the long-standing issue regarding the remains of their late colonial-era chief, uh, Kotale Semele. Uh, Semele uh, was, or led his uh, tribe against British colonial rule for over a decade. He was murdered by a British intelligence officer in 1905. Now, Semele's great-grandson, Kipchoge Arapchamu, uh, says one of the uh, their appeals to the British government is that they return his great-grandfather's skull, which he is, or rather, which is believed uh, located in a museum in the UK. In fact, we don't request. In fact, we, we have to demand a public apology from the government of British, of because of the atrocities they meted on our people. The, f- the first one is apology. After the apologies, we also expect a, a, a reparation. British colonists also evicted around 700 people from the Kipsigi tribe almost 90 years ago. Some of the tribe members were forced to march over 100 kilometers from their homes to a detention camp. Representative Joel Cometo of uh, Kipsigis says the legacy of being landless has left most of his group in poverty. He calls for compensation for the hardships they endured when they were dispossessed of their land. We are asking uh, King Galestiri also to touch on the same, say something about uh, these lands, why are they still being used by the British while the Kipsikis people are suffering. UK ruled Kenya for over six decades before the country won its independence in 1963. The United States now has a new Speaker of the House. Mike Johnson is the 56th person to hold that position. It took several weeks for the majority Republicans to elect him after the previous Speaker was ousted. Jim Spellman has more. The new name going up at the office of the Speaker of the House of Representatives, Mike Johnson, is unfamiliar to many besides perhaps Republican colleagues. He's a fourth-term congressman from the southern state of Louisiana. Johnson is known as a socially conservative Christian who has spoken out against gay rights and is staunchly anti-abortion. I believe that scripture, the Bible, is very clear that, that God is the one that raises up those in authority. He raised up each of you, all of us. And and I believe that God has ordained and allowed each one of us to be brought here for this specific moment in this time. Less is known about Johnson's foreign policy views. He's not spoken extensively about China, but has pushed for sanctions on Chinese entities and promoted trade with countries seen as competing with China. 
positions broadly in line with common Republican and Democratic views. He has opposed sending more aid to Ukraine, but is in favor of more assistance to Israel and plans to take up aid to Israel as one of his first acts as Speaker. And we want our allies around the world to know that this body of lawmakers is reporting again to our duty stations. Let the enemies of freedom around the world hear us loud and clear. The People's House is back in business. Johnson is perhaps best known for supporting former President Donald Trump in his attempts to overturn the results of the 2020 election. Not surprisingly, Johnson has the backing of Trump. Johnson has kept a low profile up until now, which some believe could be an advantage. Republicans in the House remain deeply divided in ideology and style and hold only a narrow majority. It's not clear if Johnson will be able to bring them together and succeed where his predecessor failed. That was Jim Spellman on the newly elected U.S. House Speaker, Mike Johnson. 28 past the hour in Beijing's down to 10 degrees overnight. Then it'll be sunny in 23 tomorrow. Chongqing's down to 17, then cloudy in 24. Lass is plus one overnight, then cloudy in 15. Hong Kong's at 24 this evening. It's sunny with the high of 29 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 14 tonight. It'll be sunny in 23 on Wednesday. Islamabad's down to 17, then mostly cloudy in 29. Bangkok's at 27 this evening. Tomorrow, thunderstorms in a high of 33 degrees Celsius. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, the Shenzhou 16 crew landed safely in northern China after five months at the Tiangong Space Station. The Israeli Prime Minister has rejected calls for a ceasefire in Gaza. The EU is urging Serbia and Kosovo to mend relations if they want to join the regional bloc. Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Bigham with you on this Tuesday. Still to come. In business, China's manufacturing sector has dipped into contraction territory. In sports, Messi caps the season with another major award. In culture and entertainment, a museum built on the ruins of two Han Dynasty tombs. Contact us, you can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. But first of all, with the day's headline news, here's Wang Zihang. Thanks, Jane. China has declared the Shenzhou 16 manned space mission a success. Jing Haipeng, Zhu Yangzhu, and Gui Haichao returned to Earth after completing the five-month mission at the Tiangong Space Station. Ground support teams helped them out of their spacecraft, which landed in northern China early Tuesday. Before their return, they had completed tasks including science experiments and a spacewalk. Commander Jing Haipeng hailed the crew's teamwork. Uh, I think this trip to the China Space Station is a wonderful experience for me. And uh, I want to also say on behalf of my, my partners, my two partners, for their wonderful experience and performance. They have done such a great job, and we led a, a happy life and efficient work. 
Upon landing, the technonauts reported that they were feeling well. They handed over the work to the Shenzhou 17 crew before departing the space station. Now the trio have arrived in Beijing. They will enter a period of medical quarantine and undergo comprehensive medical examinations and health evaluations. China has pledged to continue dialogue and exchanges with all parties on global security issues, with the aim of expanding international consensus on safeguarding common security. Assistant Foreign Minister Nong Rong made the pledge at the Beijing Xiangshan Forum. Nong highlighted open communication and cooperation on global security issues, saying China rejects the drawing of ideological lines or actions that provoke division and confrontation. The Chinese diplomat also announced that China will host high-level events on the Global Security Initiative proposed by Chinese President Xi Jinping. The aim is to promote a shared commitment to global security and cooperation in addressing emerging threats. China and France have agreed to promote strategic dialogue, deepen bilateral relations, and work together to cope with global challenges. Senior Chinese diplomat Wang Yi co-chaired the China-France strategic dialogue with French President. Presidential Diplomatic Counselor Emmanuel Bon in Beijing, Wang called on both sides to build on their comprehensive strategic partnership based on mutual respect and win-win cooperation. Bon said France has confidence in China's economy and has no intention to restrict China's development. The remains of former Chinese Premier Li Keqiang will be cremated in Beijing on Thursday. He died of a heart attack in Shanghai on Friday at the age of 68, and his body was transferred to Beijing aboard a special flight. National flags will fly at half mast on Thursday at the seats of the CPC committees and governments, as well as other key locations across the country. Chinese embassies and consulates around the world will also lower their national flags to half staff. Travelers entering or leaving China will no longer need to declare their house conditions with customs starting Wednesday. Chinese customs authorities have scrapped mandatory health declaration requirements for inbound and outbound travelers, but those with symptoms of infectious diseases such as fever, cough, vomiting, and diarrhea should make voluntary declarations. South Korean authorities have made an arrest after two police officers were stabbed outside the presidential compound in the capital. The authorities have identified the perpetrator as a 70-year-old man. The victims are in hospital. The motive for the attack is unclear. Cyprus is boosting its capacity to host large numbers of migrants from the Middle East. Authorities there are increasing the capacity of main migrant reception center near Nicosia. To accommodate an additional 1,000 people, staff numbers at the center will also increase to speed up the processing of asylum applications. Around 500 migrants have arrived on the eastern Mediterranean island over the past few days. The pollution in New Delhi slipped to the very poor category on Monday. Locals complained that the polluted air poses a threat to their health. In the morning, there is a lot of fog, so when I am out, I have trouble breathing. There are many sources of pollution, such as vehicular pollution, industrial pollution, and dust. I have trouble breathing, and it feels like something is stuck in my throat. The government monitoring agency recorded the PM10 level in New Delhi at 322 on the day. Anything above 60 is considered unhealthy. The Delhi, the Delhi government is implementing an action plan to tackle the situation. But the plan encourages commuters to use public transport while directing the government to increase the availability of electric buses and metro trains. The United Nations Environment Program has honored China's Blue Circle Environmental Initiative with the 2023 Champions of the Earth Award for its innovative marine plastic treatment technology. The initiative has gathered over 10,000 tons of marine debris, making it China's largest marine plastic waste program. It is a collaboration project involving more than 6,000 individuals and over 200 enterprises from Zhejiang Province. Back to you, Shane. Thank you very much. That was Wang Zhang.、Uh, and this is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's manufacturing sector is dipped into contraction territory. <laughs> 
ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa Talk. Find us on your favorite podcast. We'll see you there. 37 minutes past the hour now. Turning to business, here's Do Hongyu. Thank you, Shane. Stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished lower on Tuesday. Wang Ying has more. China stocks fell today, snapping a five-day winning streak after data showed manufacturing activity unexpectedly contracted in October. The Shanghai Composite Index lost 0.1%, while the Shenzhen Component Index fell 0.65%. And the Blue Chip CSI 300 Index dipped 0.3%. Shares in automakers dropped 2.3%, while photovoltaic companies declined 1.9% to lead the losses. BYD's Shenzhen stock eased 2.5%. Shenzhen-based BYD on Monday posted record third-quarter earnings of 10.4 billion yuan as the EV giant preserved its domestic market leadership despite softer demand and increased competition. Banks lost 1.78% and property developers fell 0.6%. Shares in China Bank, one of the country's top property developers, slumped 2.3%. And last Friday, Bank reported weak third-quarter results. That was market analyst Wang Ying in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index dropped 1.7%. In Japan, the Nikkei surged around half a percent. The Purchasing Managers Index for China's manufacturing sector came in at 49.5 in October, down from 50.2 last month. Readings below the 50 threshold indicate contraction in the sector. Meanwhile, non-manufacturing activity maintained in expansion territory in October, thanks to recovering services and a robust construction industry. Huo Li Hui is with the National Bureau of Statistics. She says tourism and consumption during the National Day holiday boosted growth in the service sector. The business activity index of industries related to tourism and consumption, such as railway transportation, air transportation, accommodations, catering, ecological protection, public ecological protection, and public facilities management, is in the high expansion range of more than 55. And the total business volume of related industries has increased rapidly. For more, Lily Liu spoke with Wang Yaojing, assistant professor in economics at Peking University. When we look at October's factory activity data, slightly dipping uh, by less than one percentage point, however, returning to the uh, uh, contraction territory, how much of an impact was uh, brought to the, those numbers uh, from the eight-day Golden Week holiday earlier this month? The Golden Week holiday uh, was able to create a significant amount of demand for the service sector in particular, but that part of the expansion was uh, probably completed by the end of September to prepare for the Golden Week holiday. And the impact on the manufacturing uh, sector is relatively vague. If we talk about a week-long holiday, uh, the manufacturing slowing down is more uh, affected by, say, uh, one, the global economy as export is more than 30% of China's GDP and we are seeing the export department in the manufacturing PMI is slowing down the most. And the and number two, uh, real estate related industries such as uh, mining, steel and, and other related production chain. Uh, and finally, the uh, policy stimulation from uh, July to September is coming to a point where marginal benefit is diminishing. So we look forward to how the end of year uh, shopping spree would help the manufacturing department to uh, speed up in the recovery pace. And also, uh, we do see the services sector continue to expand. However, that expansion eased a little. What more do we need in terms of policy support? Uh, yes, there is still a lot of room 
for the service sector to recover, uh, unlike the manufacturing PMI, uh, which really have been fluctuating around the 50% line even before COVID. Uh, the service PMI had been in the 60% region in 2019, uh, which is understandable as the whole industry took the most impact by the pandemic and it is expected to take the time to fully recover. And looking at the subcategories, construction dropped uh, 2.7 percentage points, uh, which is associated with the low level of activity in the real estate market again and local governments tied financial constraints. However, uh, as the central government is issuing new sovereign bond to better support infrastructure as well as the uh, new policy on public assistance housing provision, uh, we think that the uh, service sector and real estate industry related manufacturing sectors should be partly uh, relieved in the outlook. That was Wang Yaojing, assistant professor in economics at Peking University. China's internet sector saw total profits rise significantly in the first nine months of the year. The country's internet business revenue amounted to over 1 trillion yuan, or around 140 billion U.S. dollars, up 3.4 percent. The internet companies then provide online sales services covering bulk commodities and agricultural and sideline products saw their incomes increase by over 47 percent. China poured nearly one and a half trillion yuan or over 200 billion U.S. dollars in key energy projects in the first eight months of this year. The figure is over 20 percent higher than a year ago. Investment in key non-fossil energy projects accounted for over 40 percent of the total energy investment. The investment in solar power exceeded 350 billion yuan. China's road and waterway passenger trip volume logged robust expansion in the first three quarters of the year. The country's road transport network handled over 3.3 billion passenger trips during the period, up over 20 percent. Meanwhile, over 200 million passenger trips were made via China's waterways in the first nine months, jumping 120 percent from a year ago. Major commercial banks in China have unveiled plans to reduce service fees starting from Tuesday. The six banks include the Industrial and Commercial Bank of China and the Agricultural Bank of China. Pipe China has released its natural gas temperament analysis equipment after completing all industrial tests. The equipment is also China's first independently designed natural gas temperament analyzer. Wu Yan with Pipe China says the analyzer is key to ensure the safe and efficient operation of long-distance natural gas pipelines. Our equipment requires only 30 microliters of natural gas sample and can quickly detect 14 components within five minutes. Achieving online and accurate measurement of key parameters such as natural gas calorific value, water content and sulfur content. There are over 2,100 sets of temperament analysis equipment in use in China, almost all of which were imported. The United Auto Workers has announced tentative, agree- has, uh, tentative agreements with all of the big three automakers in Detroit. Dan Williams has more. It follows a week of agreements that began with a tentative agreement last week between the UAW and Ford. On Sunday, the presidents of the Ford unions voted unanimously to endorse that agreement. It will now be taken to all union workers for ratification. The new Ford deal includes more than $8 billion in manufacturing investments and could give workers up to $70,000 in extra pay over the next four and a half years. Permanent workers could see wages rise by more than 30%. On Saturday, jeepmaker Stellantis also reached a tentative contract agreement with the UAW that mirrors the Ford contract. That contract also saves a factory here in Illinois that Stellantis also planned to close. Following that development, the UAW then upped its strike action against General Motors, with 4,000 workers walking out of a plant in Tennessee, joining some 14,000 workers already at strike at factories in Texas, Michigan and Missouri. But then came the news Monday that a tentative agreement had also been reached with General Motors. This round of strike action was markedly different to previous talks, with the union initiating negotiations with all three automakers at once, breaking from recent talks when UAW leaders would bargain with each automaker individually. 
U.S. President Joe Biden became the first sitting president to join a picket line when he visited strikers outside a plant in Michigan last month. Last week, Ford announced the strike action had cost the company $1.3 billion. It is still possible that members could vote down the tentative bills, leading to a resumption of strike action. That was Dan Williams reporting. And thank you very much. That was Do Hong Yu with Business. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, Messi caps the season with another major award. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. At 47 past the hour now. Turning to sports, and here's Brandon Yates. Thank you, Shane. We begin with football news. Inter Miami star Lionel Messi has won the Ballon d'Or for a record eighth time. The Argentine great managed to fend off competition from Manchester City striker Erling Haaland after leading Argentina to the World Cup title last year. Messi dedicated his award to the people of Argentina. This is an award for the Argentine national team, for all the people of Argentina because of what we achieved during the World Cup. I've always shared it with my clubs, especially in Barcelona, where I was lucky enough to share a lot with the public. It would be good to also do it with the people of Argentina because the award is also theirs. This award is for everyone. Messi, now 36, becomes the first MLS-based player to claim the coveted prize, although the triumph comes largely on the back of his exploits with his country in Qatar. Former Manchester United player and Inter Miami co-owner David Beckham handed his prize signing Messi the award in Paris. Haaland, who scored 52 goals last season as City won the treble in 2022-23, finished second in the voting and won the Gert Müller trophy given to the best striker of the year. He thanked City for the award. First of all, I want to thank uh, Manchester City, the, I think the whole club, for making me being myself every single day, you know, from the players to the staff to, to Pep. City won Club of the Year, Emmy Martinez is the goalkeeper of the year, Jude Bellingham is the Young Player of the Year and Atiana Bonmati is the Women's Player of the Year. FIFA has announced that it has banned former Spanish Football Federation President Luis Rubiales from all football-related activities for three years. FIFA found Rubiales guilty of breaching their disciplinary code after he gave Spain forward Jenny Hermoso an unsolicited, unsolicited kiss. The action took place in the celebrations following Spain's 1-0 win over England in the Women's World Cup final. Rubiales was also deemed to be making obscene gestures while in the VIP box to celebrate Spain's win. The investigation concluded that Rubiales had broken basic rules of decent conduct and behaved in a way that brings the sport of football and or FIFA into disrepute. French police have detained nine suspects as the investigation into an attack on Ligue 1 side Lyon's bus continues. Lyon head coach Fabio Grosso was left seriously injured and with pieces of glass stuck in his head. The injury occurred after projectiles were thrown at the football team's bus ahead of a game against Marseille on Sunday. Marseille public prosecutor Nicolas Besson gave details on the investigation. In the case of Mr. Grosso and Mr. Longo, the charges are even more serious, as they involved premeditated violence in a group in the vicinity of a sports venue, resulting in a total incapacity to work for more than an eight-day period. These offenses carry a 10-year prison sentence. The match at Marseille Stade Velodrome was postponed after the injury sustained by Grosso and assistant coach Rafael Longo were much more serious than expected. The Fujian Sturgeons edged the Shanghai Sharks 112-107 in CBA basketball action yesterday. Elsewhere, the Shenzhen Aviators completed an 89-80 comeback win over the Nanjing Monkey, Monkey Kings to stay unbeaten. Also on Monday, the Beijing Royal Fighters managed a 105-97 victory over the Jiangsu Dragons. NBA Hall of Famer and businessman Irvin Magic Johnson is officially a billionaire. According to Forbes, Johnson joins Michael Jordan, LeBron James and Tiger Woods as the fourth athlete to earn billionaire status. Earlier this year, he added a minority stake in the Washington Commanders to his portfolio. 
He also has a 2.3% stake in the Los Angeles Dodgers and minority ownership of LAFC and the Los Angeles Sparks. Forbes estimates Johnson's net worth to be 1.2 billion US dollars as a result of his stakes in teams and investments in a variety of industries. Afghanistan inflicted yet another upset in the Cricket World Cup as they beat Sri Lanka by seven wickets in India. This has seen them claim back-to-back -back wins for the first time in their tournament history. Afghanistan's bowlers took wickets at regular intervals to leave the Tigers at 241 all out, with three balls remaining of the final over. Afghanistan earned the victory with four and a half overs remaining as they cruised to 242 for three. And finally, New Zealand number 8 Ardi Sevilla has been crowned as World Rugby's Men's Player of the Year. Ireland's Andy Farrell was named Coach of the Year, recognising his achievement in helping Ireland win a Six Nations Grand Slam and hold on to the top spot in the rankings for 15 months. New Zealand wing Mark Talia was named Breakthrough Player of the Year. South African lock Eben Etzebeth was the only player from the Springboks to be named in World Rugby's Men's Dream Team for 2023. France and Ireland were represented by five players, despite both nations falling out in the quarterfinals of the World Cup. During the ceremony, former South Africa captain John Smith received a special merit award for his service since retiring, while South Africa legend Brian Habana was inducted into World Rugby's Hall of Fame. Scotland wing Duhan van der Merwe's try against England in the Six Nations was named Try of the Year. All right, thank you very much. That was Brandon Yates reporting. Coming up in Culture and Entertainment, a museum built on the ruins of two Han Dynasty tombs. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. 53 minutes past the hour. Turning to culture and entertainment now, and uh, Yang Guang joins us now. Thank you, Shane. A new museum will be built on the site of two ancient tombs of the Han Dynasty in eastern China. The ruined site is located in Jiang, Shandong Province, and dates back around 2,000 years. Visitors will be able to enter the tomb chamber through a walkway and study the famous original stone carvings of the Han Dynasty. As the project is nearing completion, the Museum of the Han Tombs will open to the public soon. A singer from Hong Kong has traveled abroad to expand her horizons and to explore the opportunities to combine Chinese and European sounds. Hermione Kisten reports. Heidi Lee always loved singing, but it wasn't until she moved to Italy that her musical journey officially began. So when I came to Italy, I think it's the whole atmosphere that made me become who I am today. Actually, I had another degree in uh, political science before I became a musician. Um, because I think the society, especially in Hong Kong, um, a musical art career is never really um, in someone's mind, I guess, because it seems a bit uh, idealistic or not practical. Now the 37-year-old is an acclaimed singer in five different languages and numerous Italian dialects. I think it was really a nice surprise when I discovered that in Italy is such a relatively small country compared to China and they still have this linguistic and cultural diversity. So I was always really curious about it and I decided to, to, um, to do research and to make a project out of this. Heidi's YouTube series showcases her travels around the country, singing in the dialects of Toscano, Napolitano and Sardo, among others. I try to write my original music, but I also really love, um, love to learn traditional music around the world, um, especially because I come from this Chinese opera, Sichu background. She calls the Umbrian city of Perugia home and has embraced the Italian way of life. Went back to Hong Kong after like maybe one year, more than one year, and I saw my father and I, it was just natural to me to go and give him a hug, but he was really shocked and he was like, Heidi, I'm Chinese. In recent months, Heidi composed her first soundtrack for a film that premiered at the Toronto Film Festival. 
This film is actually um, produced in Nepal, it's a Nepalese movie, and so I had to learn a lot of Nepalese music for, uh, to compose the soundtrack, and so it was like a total different experience. There are many other projects on the horizon, but despite her success, Heidi humbly considers herself a work in progress. I do feel very proud of myself, but I still feel like there's so much work, there's so much work to do. That was Hermione Kisten reporting in from Italy. China's National Art Museum is hosting an exhibition on the central province of Hunan. Titled The Grand Beauty of Xiaoxiang, the exhibition features a collection of large-scale landscape paintings created by young painter Wang Jishi and dozens of artists. They worked together for three years to complete the projects. The exhibition aims to present a vibrant depiction of Hunan, highlighting its harmonious relationship with nature. And finally, a landscape painting exhibition is underway at the Suzhou Art Museum in Jiangsu Province. It features over 100 works by 99 painters from all over the country. Landscape painting is a major part of traditional Chinese culture. And thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with Culture and Entertainment. At 58 minutes past the hour, and uh, one more time through the forecast before we go for the day. Beijing's down to 10 degrees this evening. It'll be sunny in 23 on Wednesday. Chongqing's down to 17, then clouds in 24. Last is at plus one overnight, then cloudy in 15. Hong Kong's 24 this evening. It's sunny and 29 degrees tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 14 overnight. It'll be sunny in 23 on Wednesday. Islamabad's at 17 tonight, then mostly cloudy in 29. Bangkok's down to 27 degrees. Tomorrow, thunderstorm in a high of 33. In Africa, Nairobi is getting thunderstorms in 25 degrees tomorrow. And finally to Oceania, Sydney's at 14 this evening, then cloudy and uh, 21. Auckland's at 17 overnight, mostly cloudy Wednesday, and high of 21 degrees. Uh, Port Vila is getting clouds in 27 degrees Celsius. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, the Shenzhou 16 crew landed safely in northern China after five months at the Tiangong Space Station. The Israeli Prime Minister has rejected calls for a ceasefire in Gaza. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Takeaway Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable. Coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From North to South, East to West, people in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 